It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned though, smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. Turn that shit down, producer boy. Thank you. This is Marco Radio Goes Nitro for March 10, 1997 <laughs> at the Boardwalk Beach Resort Club La Vila in Panama City, Florida. Hosted by Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco, Mike Tanay, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. This is Nitro's 39th ratings win in a row with a 3.5 to us 2.3. There are 2,000 in attendance, but there was no gate for WCW. Instead, the club paid them an appearance fee of $30,000. Now, let's talk about that for a second, as it's fairly a shitty gate for WCW at the time. Uh, There are reasons, though, for holding an event here. First, this is Florida, and I don't mean that in a negative way. (laughs) This is where most wrestlers live after they retire. Why? Because the heat and humidity. When your cartilage is all spent and you're basically bone-on-bone in many joints, the heat and humidity can kind of help with the chronic pain. Also, it's cheap as fuck fuck to live in certain areas of florida so there's that for you second uh this is panama city it's the largest nightclub in the country and it's spring break which in florida means 60 plus days of insanity as each state has their own spring break week at different times between mid-february late february until mid to late april and most college students just road trip down to florida because it's cheap and i don't mean Florida, you're cheap. I just mean it's cheap to party in Florida, especially as a college student that's, you know, (laughs) living on ramen noodles so that once a year they can go down and act like total fucking miscreants in uh, Florida, which of course is all full of never mind. WCW is trying to make wrestling look cool to kids. So why wouldn't they want to perform in a ring in the middle of a pool? Even now, 25 years later, Club La Vila is an iconic wrestling location. Maybe not the Hammerstein Ballroom or Madison Square Garden, but certainly some pretty cool shit will happen here for the next few years. And it puts its dot on the map. Uh, Third, barely legal pussy for the wrestlers. (laughs) I mean, What am I getting the beep for? It's sorry, but it's true. Look, there's a lot of reasons why this venue is a good business decision, but for wrestlers that are getting paid to wrestle pretty much anywhere WCW shows off, uh, Panama City is a bonus to those. uh, It has a bonus that uh, other locations just don't have, and that is primarily barely drunk, barely legal women. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Now, this is the go-home for Uncentered 1997. There is still some building to do for that pay-per-view. One thing here, the aerial footage came from a helicopter, which somehow couldn't be muted. The things we take for granted in the age of drones, right? Jesus. 
The ring posts are wrapped in red padding with PlayStation and TNT branding all over them. This is going to become something a little more normal. Nowadays, we don't even pay attention to it anymore because it's always there at uh, WWE shows and now AEW shows. The heel and face corners were messed up and triggered my OCD all goddamn night. It's not like I need to see wrestlers' asses for every fucking match. And yes, I understand that sounded even more fucked up than it probably should have. All right. Thank you. We start the show with Hogan and the worm backstage, presumably putting over the movie Double Team, which was awful, but came out at a time when Van Damme was red hot and even Mickey Rourke couldn't pull the nose up on this dud of a movie. Tony takes over the announcing as a white limo with Team Piper pulls up. Everyone's wearing utility tartans. It's like a shitty low rent version of um, Braveheart. I just... It's awful. I'm speaking of shitty Tony hits an all-time high of being a creepy fuck. Ah, uh, okay. So an all-time low? All right, so an all-time low. All night, he's going to comment on how hot the chicks are at ringside, which was great when I was 18 and mostly thinking with my dick. But at this point, Tony's the age that I am now and saying hello. And that creepy, touchy uncle way to barely legal girls as well. It's fucking weird, man. It's just weird. And I think, you know, based on the audience uh, for this show, being mostly guys that are around my age, oh, there are some chicks. Welcome. Sorry you sit through this shit. But, I mean, Jesus Christ, the creepy, touchy uncle shit was, even by 1997 standards, fucked. And Larry got on board with that at one point, too. But for Zabisco, that's just creepy fucking grandpa territory. I Thankfully, he doesn't have that creepy grandpa voice. Oh, hello. Wouldn't that just freak you out, girls? Exactly. For the four of you that listen that are under the age of 20. As a side note, you can imagine what would be found in a pool at a nightclub. That poor fucking pool tech. I mean, he must have been filtering spunk out of those pool filters on a daily basis. <laughs> It was the word spunk, wasn't it? I'm not going to abuse that at all tonight. You know that, right? Spunk. Anyways, Jeff Jarrett and Steve Mongo McMichael defeat High Voltage, Kenny Chaos, and Robbie Rage in four minutes, 45 seconds in the opening bout. I gave that four to five. No joke. I Listen, I like High Voltage. I don't like Mongo McMichael as a wrestler, but I... Also, don't like Jeff Jarrett as a human being. Mongo is rocking a hell of a bruise above his left eye from the accidental hard way shot from the briefcase last week. Now, the thing is, if you're watching this in video, and actually, I think it probably comes off on the air, too, is the accidental is because Jeff Jarrett did reveal it in a few shoot interviews that he didn't like working with Mongo McMichael. I get that you don't like working with guys that aren't primarily wrestlers, but you were in charge of a company that did exactly that later. So I just, yeah, I pick and choose your battles, I guess, is where I'm going with that. Anyways, not to bring the energy down, but as much as I loathe Mongo as a wrestler, and, <laughs> but he was decent on color, uh, as long as I could have kept a stupid dog out of it, there's no denying that he was one hell of a football player. And this week, in real time, it's come out that he's suffering from ALS. So we at Markout Radio want to officially, as well as we've done on our social media, extend our best wishes to the Mongo and his family at this time. Um, ALS is not cool, obviously, and it's always fatal, which fucking sucks. No one wants to go out that way. Uh, so yeah, our thoughts are with uh, Mongo and his family at this point. Now, I will say this. Every now and then, Mongo will surprise you and pull out a new move, which... 
I mean, thank you, is arguably awesome. Now, in this case, his new move is a move that you wouldn't really teach a guy uh, a Mongo, <laughs> like Mongo who's just starting out. But still, he delivers a very solid and a very safe fucking pile driver for the win. And I gave like a half a point just for that. After this team, Piper does an in-ring promo with Gene. The big stuntman uh, has his shawl on the wrong shoulder. But anyways, Piper shoots on Howard Stern, who had on Rodman and Hogan earlier on in the day to promote Rodman's movie and WCW Nitro. <laughs> Rodman and Hogan apparently just showed up and it was used as a segment for Stern's E! Network show. Anyways, Roddy keeps going about um, Rodman and Hogan and then shoots on the WWF as well. Flair's music eventually hits, thank fuck, and the Horror Horsemen come out. Now, Arn calls Tenta an amateur. Now, I mean, the point of his statement was to say that the stuntmen were amateurs, but half of Team Piper is made up of wrestlers, so calling them all amateurs is calling Piper an amateur, and it's calling fucking Earthquake an amateur. I don't get me wrong. The stuntmen, I'm sure they could take bumps, but yeah, amateurs would be fair. But anyways, the promo is about to get good, though, as Flair gets the stick. And there's a lot of head shaking going on, and Piper puts on Flair's jacket. But eventually, he accepts the horseman's help, um, and the amateurs are going to watch their back at the <laughs> at the uncensored pay-per-view. After this, Prince Ayakea defeats Dave Taylor to retain the WCW Television Championship match in 2 minutes and 48 seconds. Zero point zero. Now, even though the Blue Bloods broke up and Dave Taylor has been wearing riding chaps for the last few months, he's rocking now the Blue Blood gear again with no explanation from the experts at the commentary position. They're friends? Since when? Last week? What the fuck? The bell barely rings before we're taken to the back and not a picture-in-picture side-by-side gimmick either, which they're fully capable of doing, by the way, because the production truck is there. But instead, we just go full screen to the WCW Hummer limo as it pulls up and the NWO piling out of it as usual. Now, in the confusion of their entrance, Wall Street gets laid out and there's some lame security guard that has to point it out to people. And uh, then whatever, they crowd around him and the fucking announcers figure it out and whatever. We end up back in the ring just as Ayake rever <laughs> reverses a scoop slam and gets a pin for the fucking thing. Three count. Oh my god. I mean, that's a shitty ending, even if it was a legitimate match we got to watch all of, but we didn't even get to see. We got to see the opening eh, two and a half seconds and the last mm, two and a half seconds. After this, Eddie Guerrero defeats Jim Powers with Teddy Long in his corner to retain the WCW United States Championship in 2 minutes 52 seconds. Gave that one 3 out of 5. Malenko joins commentary to bring the charisma to a new level in our eardrums. And just in case you were confused, yeah, that's Dean Malenko. And if you doubt them, they have a scrawl that says voice of Dean Malenko. Look, I get it. Your core audience is made up of Southerners and teenagers, but for fuck's sakes, who doesn't know what Malenko's voice sounds like in WCW at this time? Anyways, he's super entertaining, or at least one of us think so. This was a fairly decent match in the ring, technically speaking, but uh, very little was being done by Eddie or Jim Powers to get the crowd into it, and they were dead all the way up until the last segment of it. Now, post-match, there's an in-ring promo with Eddie and Gene. Eddie's getting defensive to sell the pay-per-view match, which basically this is two faces calling each other heels. It's not the worst program I've ever seen, but it's close. 
After this, DDP defeats Sergeant Craig Pitbull Pittman, also with Teddy Long in his corner. Uh, well, see, it says with Teddy Long in his corner, but I don't remember seeing Teddy Long down there. So sometimes I get shitty information too. I could be wrong. Pretty sure Teddy wasn't there. I'm pretty sure Teddy got nailed by his own guy in the previous match. Anyways, that one was four minutes, 20 seconds long. I gave that two and a half out of five. Tony wonders about the appearance of DDP on tonight's show where yet another NW member has been blindsided. This is super subtle of creepy dad. A couple of minor botches in this match that were covered well, mostly because Pittman was moving just a little too fast. They did, though, get the crowd mostly into this match. The finish here gets the Valvoline replay treatment. Post-match, there's an in-ring promo with Gene and DDP. Gene starts off being creepy about the babes at ringside and then calling them weather. In the middle of the promo, the power went out in production and we lost the lights and audio from ringside itself. Tony takes us to break and the power has to be restored so that DDP can try again after break. Ultimately, not a bad promo, <laughs> all things considered, helps build more of this ongoing feud. After this, Rey Mysterio Jr. defeats Galaxy in 3 minutes, 21 seconds. I gave that one 2.5 out of 5. Ray using Malenko's theme song when he gives a truly awful picture-next-to-picture -picture promo with even less charisma than Malenko exhibits, which is actually as really saying something. Post-match, there's yet another thrilling post-match mobile from Ray to the live cam. He manages to be excited, though, when he screams, Spring Break to the fans. Awesome. There's beach fireworks to kick off hour two as Tanae and Heenan join Tony, who tells us that Rodman is not officially part of the NWO yet. Even if it wasn't in retrospect, who do they think that they were fooling at this point? Now, I want to <laughs> not exactly hit pause so much as we're going to take a trip back to the 90s together. I know, right? So Gene has an in-ring promo with Johnny Sansano, from, who's an MTV VJ. Now, VJs um, are a 90s concept. Um, my listeners who are alive back then um, would know of this concept. It was NTV as well as uh, YTV up here in Canada and shit like that. But basically, these were on-air personalities that would introduce content uh, in a very exciting way. Uh, Carson Daly made his made his stones to being an MTV VJ. Anyways, um, Johnny Sansano here, though, introduces us to Miss Nitro, Pamela Rogers. Now, Johnny Sansano is the answer to what a dad bod was before there was a word for dad bod. Uh, and of course, he's rocking the long 90s hair because he's hip. And he's going to introduce us to Miss Nitro, Pamela Rogers. Now, you can hear the joy in my voice already. Um, <clears throat> you know it's about to happen. Even if you know nothing about Pamela Rogers, and even if this is the first episode of Marco Radio Goes Nitro you're viewing, you have to know that some fucked up shit's about to go down. Um, but let's let's do a slow build, shall we? Let's do a slow build. Now, Sensio tells us, or Sensio, sorry, tells us that Pamela Rogers is a Tennessee Tech student taking education, and one day she would like to be a basketball coach. Now, the crew, now by crew, we don't know if they mean MTV or if they mean Nitro, but the crew have been scouring the beach for three days, and they found her, and yes, she is hot. Really hot. And here is a picture of her if you're watching this on Twitch or if you're watching the replay on Twitch or, of course, if you're watching uh, on YouTube or FuckTube. That's constantly the bane of my existence. Now, this is Pamela Rogers. This is her coming down with her sash on and her scepter and her little crown. 
Um, I'm gesturing to my fucking monitor where I'm watching this, not to the one you're watching. Uh, ah, 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 no, 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 no. Fucking, I got to worry about this thing. And ah, over there. Oh, that's what I got to do. That is totally counter. Well, actually, it's not really counterintuitive. I'm good. All right. Never mind. I'm overthinking this. Now, you can't. She's really hot, but she can't figure out how to get into the ring. Fair enough. It's not exactly hard, but it's not easy either. Um, but of course, Gene wasn't strong enough to sit on the middle rope to help her. Or he could have been hoping that a tit would pop out. So he stayed back and adjusted his glasses. You be the judge. Now, here is Pamela as Miss Nitro. Here is Pamela in her engagement photo to a basketball coach, uh, I believe in 2003. I, I could be wrong on the date there. And I apologize. I apologize ahead of time if I'm wrong. Just calm down. All right. Now, this is Pamela Rogers on her wedding day. This is Pamela Rogers' booking photo after being charged with 15 counts of sexual battery and 13 counts of statutory rape against a minor, and he was 13 fucking years old. That feels like a really inappropriate sound effect for this. Okay, but I really don't feel it's like that either. Anyways, and this is Pamela being convicted and sentenced to her sweetheart deal that she made with the prosecution on lesser charges. This is a picture of Pamela being convicted of violating the terms of her parole and being sentenced to seven years in prison. Oh my God. And I'm going to leave that picture up because that picture is exactly what I'm talking about this week. Okay. Now, before I start getting emails, let's hit pause for just a second. Let's go back to Pamela uh, as hot Miss Nitro for a second. Now, <laughs> um, when she got married, um, she kept her maiden name. So she's Pamela Rogers Turner. So if you want to Google Pamela Rogers Turner, you too can fucking see why this is exciting me way more than it really should. All right, now. That's what I do! Thank you. All right, now. <clears throat> if she was a man, I probably wouldn't be this giddy. I'd probably be calling for her head on a pike, but here is why we're going to talk about this for a second. Now, if a man was charged with the things that she was charged with, <laughs> let's be honest, we'd be asking for the death penalty, right? I mean, we can all agree with that, right? Even the women that watch the show would have to agree that that would probably end up being the case. The fact that she has molested and assaulted a 13-year-old boy is not good. <laughs> it's, it's fucked as well. But this is one of those cute little things. Now, I'm not... I'm not pointing this out to be a male chauvinist, so stop with the fucking emails, but I am going to say this. Now, Imagine for a moment that this isn't Pamela Rogers Turner. Imagine that this is, uh, oh, let's imagine this is Brock Turner. And Brock Turner has been, no relation. Calm down. Now, let's pretend for a second that a man who's 27 is, is accused of oral, vaginal, and manual sex at the age of 27 with a 13-year-old girl. Tell me 
Tell me that motherfucker would have gotten more than 270 days and then seven years of probation. Fucking tell me that with a straight face. I fucking dare you. Oh, exactly. I- now, the current penalty is a fine of up to $5,000 plus at least two years with a maximum of 12 years in prison per offense. And it doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl anymore, even in Tennessee. Now, in her case, it is 2005, and this conviction was a Class C felony case. Now, there were no fines, although she did post a $50,000 bail bond when she was arraigned. In the end, she made a deal with the prosecution. And let's welcome to fucking Tennessee, by the way, in 2005. Let's be honest. She was a woman messing around with a boy in 2004 in Tennessee. Her deal... And the prosecution didn't get anything out of this. They just avoided all of the circus that was going to happen anyways. Her deal was to plead no contest to four charges out of 15 of sexual battery as an authority figure over a child. No, no statutory rape charges. None in her sweetheart deal. Now, her sweetheart deal. She was sentenced to 270 days, which is about nine months. And on August 12th, 2015, this is when this happened. Now she was released after 270 days and within days of being released, she was arrested again on April 24th, 2006. Apparently she sent text messages, nude photos and sex videos of herself to the same boy. Now 14, who has allegedly got a magic fucking penis with her father's fucking cell phone. Oh! Here we go! If you're from Tennessee, I don't care if you're offended. Sorry, I'm really not. This song, by the way, I get to use as license because it's a fucking YouTube thing. All right, now. I'm going to keep that going in the background. Thank you very much, producer boy. (laughs) Now, she was also charged with communicating with the boy via websites while in jail for the 270 days. Magic penis. You, sir, have a magic penis. Whoever you are, I don't care, but you have a magic fucking penis. Enjoy that shit. She was held without bond when she was arrested again and sentenced to seven years on July 14, 2006. She begged for leniency from the judge and she wanted to be incarcerated and treated locally. Uh, The judge denied her request saying, you have done nothing except show this court that you want to rehabilitate yourself. Um, (laughs) Sorry, that's a bad quote. You have done everything except show this court that you wanted to rehabilitate yourself. Thank you. That fucking magic penis. Now, This is, if it's possible, this gets better and we need more. You can tell from my chair, I'm wiggling my ass. On January, 2007, she had two years added to her sentence for sending the boy with the magic penis another set of nudes from a cell phone that she had snuck into the jail where she was. So get this, this woman got a sweetheart deal where she was let out after nine months, couldn't resist his magic fucking dick and got herself nine, nine fucking years in jail. 
it must truly be a magic, magic penis. Now, she was released from prison and arrested yet again in 2015. But wait, pump the brakes. The boy with the magic penis is now a man and he's of age. So it wasn't because of that again this time. But fuck's sakes, I bet you she was still trying to get some of that magic dick. But it's not a legal magic dick anymore. It's legal tender. No, she was arrested and charged and sentenced for smuggling cell phones into the prison that she was in. Now, <clears throat> In 2006 and 2007, smuggling in a cell phone, if you think about it for a couple seconds, is smuggling in probably a flip phone, right? Like, you know, a flip phone, maybe put in a condom and shove it up your cooch, right? But in 2015, smartphones are out now. That's not fitting up a normal human's cooch. Not without serious structural damage. How? <laughs> Never mind. I don't want to know. All right. <laughs> Let's move on from this crazy. Oh, wait. Uh, just in other related uh, yet unrelated news, her brother, her brother Alvin was arrested in 2017 for statutory rape of a fucking minor. Jesus Christ. I must run in the fucking family. Oh, goddamn. All right. The fun and frivolity is over. Let's move back on to wrestling, where there's also fun and frivolity, just of a different kind. After this, the match is Lex Luger, the giant Rick, and Scott Steiner defeating Greg, the Hammer Valentine, Roadblock, Jacques Rougeau, and Pierre Ouellette uh, of the amazing French Canadians in two minutes, 11 seconds. Uh, I would give that one three out of five. I'm sorry. I'm still tickled about the fucking crazy bitch. I just... I'm sorry. I just am. Anyways, the match. Tony outlines the rules for the triangle match that's coming up at, at Uncensored, which at least they didn't wait until the night of to do. Now, this is the go-home Nitro, so it, this is the very last opportunity to do it, but at least they're doing it with one of the teams that's in that match actually wrestling. So, fucking props, man. It's done right and on point. Like, just, it's great. Glorious. Holy shit, don't get us fucking pulled off of you. Oh. I feel like there's another YouTube fucking <laughs> copyright strike on our horizon. Thank you, producer boy. Now, the crowd was crazy into this match, despite it being a short jobber affair, and Rick Steiner is there. So I guess we're going to have to watch the pay-per-view to see what actually happens then before the match. Probably going to be outsider-related, let's be honest, which is good, because that's entertainment. Post-match, there is a promo in-ring with Gene and Team WCW, made up of Luger, Giant, and the Steiners. Gene recaps the rules yet again, uh, this time for the audience that's live, but also setting up the promo that's about to happen. The rules confuse Luger. Fair enough. I didn't really expect him to wrap his head around it. It's not exactly like it's reps or steroids, uh, so eh, whatever. His promo, though, was decent. Giants was also good. Rick's was typical. Of obviously awesome, in my estimation. Uh, Scott's was mixed up some words, so normal for him there, too. Then Gene gets distracted by girls flashing them off of the hard cam. <laughs> <laughs> so the the I Luger's happy with it, the Giants happy with it, the Siders are happy with it. I mean, I will say this: the wrestlers are all wearing fucking speedos, so luckily they were able to control themselves for live TV. That there's that. I just 
All right, I get it. That was fucking maybe too far. After this, the Ultimo Dragon defeats Juventud Guerrera in four minutes, 53 seconds. I gave that one three out of five. So there's some decent chain wrestling here, but they struggled to keep the crowd into the show. Otherwise, though, a fairly decent match. I just There's nothing really crazy or over the top to really rant and rave about. After this, Scotty Riggs defeats Chris Jarrado to see, because now there's two of them. I just... All right, if you must, just anyways. Scotty Riggs defeats Chris Jericho via disqualification in three minutes, 38 seconds. I gave that one three and a half out of five. Really going to turn it up? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you. Okay, there. You got it out of your system. Thank you. Riggs is out wearing new shiny tights as opposed to the jeans that he'd been wearing complete with Chippendale suspenders, leaning hard into the male gigolo stripper gimmick that the American males have always kind of technically had. Bagwell comes out in his black Daisy Dukes, whips Riggs like a dog, giving Riggs the win. But Tony, who's been covering wrestling for over a decade, Tanae, who is the professor, didn't understand how interference works in a match, and Heenan has to fucking explain it to them. Awesome. Thank you, boys. Really? There's a Gene Rand promo with Medusa after this. Not, a, not so subtle sexism by Gene yet again. Oh my God. He no sells Medusa. Her promo didn't get over because she's too old and too clothed for the horny college kids to give a shit what, ha- what she has to say. Gene doesn't put over anything she has to say either. Uh, this whole promo pissed me off. Uh, and I'm just, I'm not like a, obviously <laughs> from the coverage of, I guess I can get her off the screen now, right? <laughs> obviously I'm not a social justice warrior. So like the whole fucking promo pisses me off. She's Medusa's wasted in her time. Just wasted. Imagine Medusa versus Becky Lynch or Medusa versus Alexa bliss. Fuck it. I'll go full Canuck mark on this deal. How epic would Medusa versus Natalia have been? I just totally wasted in her time. Just like Lisa Ivory Moretti was too. Jesus Christ. Anyways, after this fucking promo that gets no sold by the fucking man that was involved in it, which by the way, let's go back and look at the Miss Nitro thing where he puts over Miss Nitro hard. Now watch that segment and how hard he puts over this chick who, to be fair, WCW doesn't know, didn't know at the time she was going to fuck a kid, but Look at the effort Gene goes to to put over that train wreck, and then you've got an actual chick that can wrestle here and gets nothing. Uh, the 90s, man. They're just the 90s. Oh, right. That golden voice bastard Lee Marshall calls in from Savannah, Georgia, promoting next week's Nitro and St. Patty's Day before promoting Uncensored in North Charleston, where there's been complaints from the military personnel nearby about WOS, and Marshall would like to know what exactly is wrong with Weasel on a shingle brain takes this one personally in kayfabe and sold it awesome after this you get the main event of the night kevin sullivan that's why there was a hesitation with jimmy hart and miss jacqueline versus Hardbody harrison and this ended in a double count out at two minutes i just fuck off zero point zero Sullivan jobbing out yet another power plant graduate who looks phenomenal, by the way, but gets fucked out of having any credibility in WCW after he gets jobbed out to Sullivan and Jackie. I I will say this. At least it gets a good reaction out of the crowd who are always amazed when Jackie scoop slams somebody, no matter how much they help her do it. It's not exactly a difficult move as long as you're somewhere within the realm of being able to deadlift or squat the weight of the person you're doing, you can do this fairly easily, especially if they help you like Hardbody Harrison helped her. Now, 
Tony wants to talk about Randy Anderson coming back tonight, but is distracted by the clusterfuck that is this match. The fight, well, the fight. Harrison jobs out to the beach and back to the pool where Sullivan and Jackie take turns working him over until he ends up in the pool to an actual pop. I don't know why there was a pop. I guess teenagers have a pop when someone goes into a pool. I'm not quite sure why. But I don't know. Whatever. At least that part got over. I fucking poor hard body Harrison though. What the fuck is he supposed to do? He fucking got jobbed out to Kevin's fucking Sullivan, uh, fat ass old Booker and his jacked up girlfriend. I, I know there and 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 they're too legit to quit too. Uh, no, I'm not playing the fucking. Th- you play that theme song. I swear to Christ, I will reach over the desk and I will beat you with your own severed arm. Thank you. Post-match, there is a promo with Jimmy Hart, Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart, Kevin Sullivan, Miss Jackie, and Gene. Hart claims the women of WCW are scared of Miss Jackie, and she's going to now cut a promo on the women, too. Sullivan goes another way and puts over Piper and the Horsemen, including Benoit. Gene wraps this up by not so subtly claiming that Miss Jackie was working at a car wash. Fucking hell. Oh, man, the 90s really were a different time. Now it's time for the NWO promo. Sucked. Hogan Hour sucked. Thank you, Big T. Uh, Eric's there, even though he's suspended, not supposed to be there. But, you know, Eric's such a badass. Since it wasn't enough to have Hogan cut a promo live on the air, we get to have a pre-tape of Rodman joining the NWO and a subtle reference to Hogan and Rodman doing a triple team, which even in 1997 meant the devil's threesome. Um, If you need that explained to you, not going to do that. I've already kind of burnt every bridge I can burn this week. So if you need to know what a devil's threesome is, just fucking Google at home, kids. All right. Back live, Hogan gives Sting his official NWO t-shirt to a ton of heat from the audience. The Outsiders cut a promo on the Steiners uh, leading into the pay-per-view. The promo ends early, so we get a totally unplanned, uncensored promo video with Hugh Morris before going back live to Tony kind of wrapping things up. But since we still have two minutes of live air, let's have an impromptu promo with public enemy to plug the last match that got no build for the fucking pay-per-view oops public enemy versus harlem heat but instead the public enemy talks shit about the horsemen uh until the harlem heat come out and the main event gets canceled overall this was a fairly decent nitro i have two problems with nitro the public enemy harlem heat feud was not built at all it's a total afterthought but the glacier mortis battle of the video game characters didn't get a build at all on nitro There's a segment for it on Saturday night, but absolutely nothing on Nitro, which is supposed to be the flagship show, right? I got that part right, didn't I? WCW and Eric can't be held responsible for Miss Nitro turning into a child predator, but it is really 90s WCW at this point, so it's not really their fault it went down that way, but you kind of had to sort of expect fucked up shit like that was going to happen to WCW talent in the nineties, actually any wrestling talent in the nineties for that matter, uh, with the allegations of Macho Man and Stephanie. Anyways, um, all things considered a very solid Monday night show, despite some technical problems and the Sullivan match, of course, I'll give this uh, show four out of five. Now go watch Uncensored 97. We're going to talk about it at the top of next week's show for now though, get the fuck out of here and start emailing me telling me, what a chauvinistic asshole I am, all right? All right, get out of here. Well, that was an abortion of a show. Should the mood take you, check out markoutradio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them.